lights out and away we- Bing bang! Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of the Paddock Talk podcast. I am Kyle. I'm Scott. And I'm JP. And today, because we had a break in the F1 calendar, we're going to be talking about NASCAR. Um, the only thing I, the only thing I know about NASCAR is what it stands for, and that's because I looked it up. So NASCAR stands for the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. That's all I got. Well, that's, I'll say this: that's pretty impressive. They, I'll say this: they turn left a lot. <laughs> See what's going to happen. I'm going to go straight, and then I'm going to make a left turn. <laughs> now you know left what for turned. like. For being my first actual like time watching a NASCAR race, I thought it was pretty exciting. Um, it, it was. Uh, it, it it was a race. I'll give it that. Listen, just because Gunther Steiner was there doesn't make it any better. Okay, I mean, let's be honest. He added to the broadcast, but that doesn't make it great. <laughs> That's. Did you guys see the uh, the little video of him walking? I think I sent it to both of you but i can't remember of gunter in the garage area i almost said paddock the garage area and he's like walking around looking confused and he's like this doesn't look right i need to call gene yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but but i mean in all seriousness i i think it's nice or i don't want to say nice but i think it's great to see you know nascar reaching out to someone from f1 because you know, as we talk, you know, to kind of start the season, we have F, we have American F1, American drivers in F1 now. So it's kind of nice to see maybe NASCAR, you know, pulling someone in with Haas has been kind of, you know, in NASCAR a little bit with Tony Stewart and stuff like that. So it's nice to see them kind of do maybe what I call some cross promotion to maybe open that door to people. Oh yeah, it was um, it was interesting, and the reason why we were talking about NASCAR, not because we need something to talk about, is because two former F1 champions were in the field, and Kimi Räikkönen and Jensen Button. Uh, but yeah, like it's a good European flavor. Uh, it may be NASCAR trying to reach to get some of the F1. Uh, uh, how do I say this correctly? Trying to get some of that. F1 shine onto NASCAR since F1's on the rise and NASCAR seems to be on the decline here in the States? Well, I think it's that people, and I'll say this from a personal standpoint, which we'll get into some of this, but I feel like NASCAR doesn't know who they are right now, and they've been kind of, I guess, pulling at some short straws the last couple of years to figure it out. But I feel like F1 knows what they are, and they've just been able to market it. Like, this is F1. This is what it is. Let's go. Yeah, they're the world. They're their premier racing, uh, racing series in the whole world. This is that that is their kind of mission statement for racing. And NASCAR is is kind of more. It, it's past the good old boys uh, statement that it used to be back in the day. Now it's more national it's more it's it's kind of growing out to other countries but it'll never be you know obviously it'll never be an f1 but uh i i enjoyed the race it was more like bumper cars but it it was still a it was still entertaining race nonetheless yeah i I Uh, just feel like 
with NASCAR. And I mean, I guess you could kind of say this for F1. Uh, I thought there's just a big disparity between the teams. But when I look at F1, I feel like some teams have closed that gap, i.e. Aston Martin with Fernando this year so far. So I feel like NASCAR is in that place of like, how do we bring, uh, I guess, a lower tier team up to the level that some of the higher teams are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely with the new regulations, which is kind of weird because both sports started new regulations last year with F1 doing the whole new car, this more uh, budget cap to keep teams more confined. So Red Bull and Mercedes aren't spending $400 million a season on a team and confine them to $140 million, $135 now. Uh, NASCAR had their their new gen car which is supposed to be safer air quote cheaper um which didn't become cheaper because a you have to spend more money buying these chassis from a outside contractor who builds them you have to buy all the parts from said contractor it's no more manufacturing like it used to be uh nascar used to be kind of like f1 where they would construct build their own chassis build their own engines they would you know, they would build everything in shop. Now it's, you have to buy it or lease it from, you have to buy your chassis, you have to buy your stuff, you have to lease your motors, buy your motors from another supplier. And uh, even at a, I'll give a generous 10 to 15 million to run a NASCAR season, it's still a really big drop off. You only have three big teams and the rest are, almost like a Williams or a Haas in, in F1. They're all just backmarkers who don't have a shot in hell of winning or being extremely competitive. So I guess that, I, I guess for me, that brings me to a point is that if you're kind of outsourcing everything, then what is the team really doing? Do they just change tires? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I thought there's no connection to the car um, to where F1, like the Red Bull, Hey, the Aston Martin looks like Red Bull because Red Bull figured it out. So I feel like sometimes in NASCAR, I guess that's maybe the appeal of the stock car and air quotations that I feel like just every car is kind of the same. Like, what are you really doing to justify your car being different than anyone else? Um, and you're to what I've seen with the new NASCAR regulations, it's more you're just housing the car. You can't really work on anything besides little things. So yeah, you're pretty much just storing a car, doing your um, aerodynamic testing, doing your, probably doing your chassis dynoing stuff. And that's kind of about it. You don't have any, you don't have any chassis builders. You don't have uh, body hangers. You don't have anything else like we did five, 10 years ago where you had specific guys to do one area like you do in F1. Like there's aerodynamicists, there's chassis builders, there's front suspension, there's electricians, there's, you know, everything to pile a car and make it one. It's kind of just, let's buy it like a kit, put it together and do our best to cheat it up the best we can. 
Well, that settles it. I'm still waiting on you and Kyle to marry some sugar mama so that we can have an F1 team. <laughs> or, excuse me, a NASCAR team, excuse me, because we can just part everything what? out in NASCAR. Just if two of you could meet a sugar mama, we'd be great. Yo, dude, I've been trying this for like the last 15, 20 years. If it ain't happened yet. Uh, I guess of, there's always a lottery. Yeah, with with what you guys were saying, do you think there are too many teams in NASCAR then? How many teams are there? Um, okay, so in NASCAR, some of the differences, um, and then I'll let JP discuss since he's got the the next amount of knowledge in front of Kyle who has like a half a percent of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in F1, you have your 10 teams that are that are locked in. So as they've talked with the Andretti Autosport trying to get in, you have to get all 10 teams to decide, then they share prize money, and then that, and then they may let a new team in. In NASCAR, you have 36 guaranteed cars in the field. They're chartered cars. So NASCAR decided it would be a good idea to, you. each team has to buy a charter for these cars, and they have to repay the entry fee every year for it. Uh, It's, I think, a couple million it just keeps going up it used to be like a million now i think if you lease it from another car it's like seven to eight million yeah so anyway you have 36 guaranteed entries in so the field will always be at least 36 cars now there are other people who can say buy a car from said manufacturer get it ready and then go to a race those are um, I don't know how they classify them now. They're like outside runners. They are. They have to make it in speed. So the max field is 40 cars for a NASCAR field. Wow. So say if 40, so if 36 are guaranteed show up, and then seven um, of these uh, outside cars or outside owners show up, then only four can make the race, and it would be based off of your your qualifying speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be a 43 car field and some races like Daytona or Indy back in the 90s, early 2000s, you'd get 55 to 60 cars showing up to qualify for one race. That's crazy. When you think about it, let's look at it. There's only 17 full-time teams. So if you look at NASCAR as a whole, you have 17 full-time teams. But then, like Scott said, you have a couple of, I guess, we, I don't want to call them outliers, but they're kind of the, you know, Junior Johnson wants to ride a car this weekend, so his team's going to show up with a car. Uh, just to kind of throw a name out there in NASCAR, is a guy who might would fill the car, might would not. Uh, so, you know, when, when you look at that, there's only about 40 cars in NASCAR now that really kind of have a chance to really you know, like start that grid. And I, I kind of give them credit for opening that up to people who, uh, you know, I kind of correlated to the movie Days of Thunder. They were an upstart race team. So I felt like NASCAR has tried to do a little bit to maybe if there's someone out there who wants to get their feet wet, maybe they can see what it's like to fill the car and really see if they want to move forward that they might make a weekend or two, but not make every weekend so that maybe they can actually see, like, you know, is this beneficial for me to keep doing this? 
So I might, you know, I might want to say, you know, good on NASCAR for allowing people to do that to see if they really want to do this full time. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of hard. Uh, like, say, if you're a uh, a good old boy driver, like a, I'm trying to think off top, like a Carl Long is the first thing that popped in my head in NASCAR, who is a independent owner who you know scrapes together as much money as he can and fields his fields a car when he can at least try to make money or when he has sponsorship so when they did this whole new car like it just like for guys like that who have already purchased cars who have already done this that's also another expense now he has to spend a half a million on this car and then lease out another engine just to make you know a cup race like NASCAR is trying to go the way of F1. To me, it's how it feels. They're trying to um, cater to the established owners who have the money, like your, like your Rick Hendrick, your Joe Gibbs, your uh, Richard Childress, Richard Childress, your uh, oh my God, Stuart Haas Racing, Front Row Motorsports, um, Petty or Petty Racing or. What are they called now? Hall of Fame. I think uh, it's Hall of Fame Racing or something Enter- like that. Yeah, Racing Enterprises now. That's uh, the two-car team that Jimmy Johnson drives part-time for now this year. Uh, yeah, it's they've kind of catered to the big teams to where they 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 kind of run the club and chase your little guys out. But to NASCAR's credit, though, they've made it to where it's. 36 more competitive teams. It's not like back in the day when it was like maybe 10 drivers were going to show up who were going to have a chance to to win. Now it's kind of more your 15, your 20 guys who who any given race may actually win it in Daytona and Talladega your road cor- or your your restrictor plate races. It's whoever starts, you you automatically have a chance to win the race because they're either wreck fest or the cars are just so equal on those tracks. Like, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you look at the difference in, for instance, let's say Richard Petty. During his heyday, especially a lot, Daytona, he had a big wing on the car. Hey, if you can hold it in the track, go win the race. We don't care how big your motor is. But I feel like NASCAR tried to close that gap over the years to make the racing a little more competitive to say, hey, just because you bring the biggest engine we're going to put a restrictor plate on it so that we're going to restrict what that engine can do because we we don't want someone just blowing everybody away because he's faster on the straights. And he just makes it, you know, in air quotations, makes it through the corners. Um, so I think that was, you know, something that NASCAR really struggled with for a while. But I think the restrictor plate racing, when you look at it now, it's really made for better racing in the long run for people. And it wasn't just about building the bigger engine to where I think in the in, in year, you know, let's go back to the 60s or 70s. It was all about bootlegging who had the biggest engine and just could hold the car in the road. Yep, it was pretty much bring what you got. If it was legal-ish, go ahead and run it. Yeah, air quotations, <laughs> air quotations legal-ish. Uh, I think nowadays it's hashtag air quote legal ish. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I think 60s and 70s, we saw a lot of that. And then NASCAR, the the sanctioning body was kind of like, eh, like, 
is this really substantial? Like, is this monetarily substantial for us to have one or two guys finish on the lead lap and then the rest of the field is like third, fourth, fifth, and sixth or two, three, four laps down? Um, yeah, so they had to kind of rein some of those guys in for sure on that. Yeah, and, and listen, I agree with that because at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like F1. People want to see good racing. You know, it it would be crazy if we told everybody in F1, oh, just build the engine as big as you want to, but then they can't hold it through a city. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants to see 10 cars wrecked because the driver oh, can't yeah. hold it. So, you know, I yeah, kind of applaud NASCAR that, for kind of saying, hey, we want you guys to drive to the limit, but to the limit is within said reason, though. So, Oh yeah, um, totally agree. And plus, if cars wrecked in an F one race, that's half the field, and that's yeah. not a fun race. That that's really not a fun race, as we've seen a couple times in F one history with the yeah wreck fest. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the differences in NASCAR. If you're not familiar with NASCAR, if you're not familiar with F one, and you get all your information from us, which is great. This is fantastic. Like, (laughs) I'm glad we can uh, help you. Uh, So NASCAR actually adopted F1's qualifying structure uh, with the Q. They don't call it Q1, 2, and 3, but they have a, I think it's a 15-minute qualifying session where everybody goes out, and then they take the top 20 cars. That I didn't look up because they've just just been running this the last few years. Um, Then... That set of cars, they do the top ten, and then after that, they have that's your that's your pole shot. It used to be single car qualifying where one car would run, next car on the track, next car on the track, fastest time is set one through we'll say forty, and that was your time. That was your starting. That was your starting uh, position in the race, which for NASCAR I feel worked. Because some of the tracks aren't as, I don't know, even like with the road course qualifying, I, I, it's weird to see it in a sport other than F1 or an open wheel uh, stat or uh, open wheel series. Because it's just like you got cars running, they do one lap, and they come in to the pits for 13 minutes, they'll cool their car off, get ready to make one more run. Uh, at least in F1, they, they do their warm up lap run, go, cool down, go in the garage, sit for a few minutes, and then go up right back out for their their last run. Unless you're Max, well, and you know but, you have the fastest car. Yeah, and, and I would say, you know, my biggest takeaway from that is, at least in F1, if the car is sitting, it's probably because you did the fastest lap, so you're waiting to see what other people did. Um, I feel like in NASCAR, I feel like it's a little more, I guess, judgmental by, like, what do I do on the track, you know, depending on the team. Because, again, if you're a team just trying to make the race, you could go out there and be like, hey, I'm in the top 20. I'm going to pull back and save the engine, save the car. There's no reason for me to push it because we're not really a lot buying for a championship to where I feel like in F1, 
anybody could sneak up in the championship. So the qualifying means just a little more at F1 than it does to be a NASCAR right now. But again, that's just, you know, kind of from the outside looking in. Oh, yeah. Like in a NASCAR race, most of the tracks that they run, uh, most of the tracks they run, your qualifying lap is anywhere between 20 seconds on a short track to, we'll say, 35 seconds on an intermediate track. And then your road courses, your Daytona, your Poconos are close to a minute. Maybe the road courses are going to be a little bit over a minute. In F1, most their most their timed um, qualies are, we'll say, around one minute ten to close to two minutes at like bigger tracks like Singapore and Spa. So I mean, it it just seems better for an F1 than you know the NASCAR to me, like just to fit. Well, NASCAR, I always love the fact that they would just. Hey, whoever had the fastest car this weekend, go run your lap and let's see who it is. I never really felt the need for them to do, you know, like a three, two, one or one, two, three or segments or whatever it is they want to call it. I just always felt like it was about who whose car was set up right with the springs, whose car was set up right with, you know, the tires, uh, what they're allowed to do and just kind of go make your fastest lap and let's go. Oh, exactly. It used to be, well, before they did one-shot qualifying, it was two-day qualifying where on, say, Friday, the whole field would run. they take the top 25 t- times. Those cars were locked in. And then the yep. next day, they'd have last-chance qualifying to where the guys who didn't make the top 25 would either run a new lap or sit at their time. And then if you sat on your time and say 20 guys ran and did faster you went home uh, it, it was more like chess back in the day so yeah and again i think to me i felt like that was the golden age in nascar was when those people when, when they had to play chess with the other team like okay i just qualified you know the top 25 but then you're say you're at number 26 so you're like, okay, I need to, you know, I'm going to make some adjustments for the car. I'm going to, you know, take the rear wing down or up. I'm going to adjust the shot from the car because I want to try to get in that top 25 and pretty much here this weekend and go win a race for the money. Because let's face it, it's really about getting money, you know? Oh, yeah, it's about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely about trying to make the race and make as much money as you can because you don't want to, I mean, you want to make tire money, gas money, travel money for the next race. I mean, if you're not making a race, you're not. All you're getting is a uh, so long and good luck. Yeah, so long and good luck. I mean, the same thing. Like, you know, let's just say air quotations. You go to the club. The person that makes the most money does the most work. So yeah, uh, let's just throw that out there for everybody. So you know, if you want to be fast, you'll make a little more money. If you don't, then hey, you're going to be on out looking in. Remember, if you're not first, unless, you're unless you're... <laughs> Thanks, Ricky Bobby. Uh, but yeah, unless you're a pay driver, and then it doesn't matter. Like you just have daddy spend money and just uh, just keep trying to raise and trying to trying to make it. What do you care? Even Joe Legato. Oh, I'm sorry, I said that out loud. My bad. <laughs> oof, 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 burn, 
ow. I mean, not wrong, but still, ow. Ow. I mean, he's got, what, one or two championships, though, for a pay driver. I've got a bust ass like Dale. I've got a bust <laughs> ass. It's cool. <laughs> um, all right, Kyle, anything, uh, any other questions you want to ask? Uh, yeah, I did. So I did. Talk more? I didn't catch the yeah. beginning of the race. So is NASCAR a rolling start or is it a standing start like F1? It is a rolling start. So oh, okay. they, yep. uh, they go behind the quote unquote safety car or pace car mm. for a couple laps, warm their tires up, make sure the grids, everybody's just sliding the right grid position. And then there is a restart zone before the uh, start finish line. So when you hit that restart zone, the leader sets a pace. So he can either go right when they enter the restart zone, they can go when it's towards the end of the restart zone. So they follow the leaders. So if the leader gets a good jump, he's trying to get a good position going into turn one. Okay. That, that listen, ah, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I just can't get down with that. Because what if he knows his car is crap through turn one? He slows everybody down, comes out of turn two in the lead, and then, like, takes off in, like, turn three. Like, listen, one thing I love about F1 is, is the standing start. Is let's see who can get a jump on this light, and let's see who can maneuver their car through turn one and who can get there. Because, I mean, how many times in F1 have you seen the fastest car lose the lead in turn one because somebody got a better jump? We saw it at Jetta. Yep. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that, that, that's why I said, like, I, again, I, listen, we're, we're the, you know, padded podcast and we talk a lot about F1. But, like, I just don't understand the rolling start because now I feel like a guy who has a lesser car could control the start of that race. And to me, that's not what it's about. It's about who can get their car in position into turn one. And then that sets the race for everybody. But again, just personal preference. Um, I don't want to say it's wrong, and I get what NASCAR is maybe trying to do, is you kind of make the field play to the people who qualify better. But I don't necessarily agree that that's the better way to race. Yeah, I would love to see NASCAR go to a standing start. I know it'll never happen in a million, million, trillion years because yeah. all the, uh, the the NASCAR uh, buffs and historians would be like, that's not how it's been. That's not how it's been. That's not how it's been. Well, NASCAR's losing viewership. It's uh, you know, The product's kind of piss poor right now. I mean, I mean, why not learn from F1 and try to, try to raise, you know, Try to raise your game up a bit. Let's see these cars. Let's see who uh, the real drivers are on standing starts. Let's see. Uh, huh. Let's see what you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because believe it or not, I mean, looking at an F1 car, you're gonna have the fastest car in the weekend, but have a bad start. Or vice versa, you could have the worst car of the weekend, but have a great damn start. So I think that. When you look at it, it's thought the standing start is about driver reaction. It's about car reaction. And it's about just getting there. But I also understand, you know, it's always tough to break up what I call the status quo. Mm-hmm. 
And it's the same with F1 uh, purists who are set in their ways and like this and like that. And um, I can see the argument if they didn't want to do it. But hey, I mean, now's the time to kind of try it. You're you're starting to try to bring uh, European drivers into the sport. Uh, why not give it a whirl? What's the worst that could happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, say yeah. say you try for two or three races at two or three select courses and it doesn't work, then you don't have to go back to it. But I think anything is worth a gamble to try and see how it goes. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, NASCAR has two exhibition races <laughs> scheduled every year in the Bush Clash and your All-Star race. Why not try it there and see how it works? Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Um, let's transition... Uh, if you guys want to, to some F1 drivers who have switched to NASCAR. Mm-hmm. I mean, Me like you it. know, two, what, uh, two come up this year. Uh, we have, uh, who is it? Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to scroll through and find the names right now. As I think about it. I know of one. Um, it was uh, well, Jean we... Girard. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> you made me spill my macchiato. My macchiato. <laughs> That's a no go, sir. <laughs> um, but you know, ha- has we um, Daniel Kavat and Kimi Rockadin, um, you know, come to, you know, kind of come to NASCAR and kind of have their place in time. But I think the biggest thing for me is, you know. I think that's a hard switch to make because we were talking about two totally different cars. Yeah, you're talking about a NASCAR cup car, which is narrower and got to be twice the weight of a of an F1 car. Yeah. It has to be at least twice the weight. So, yeah, you're definitely, it's a learning curve. I totally forgot Kvyat uh, had a NASCAR race under, I think a NASCAR, one or two NASCAR races under his belt last year. Yeah, uh, he did last year. And, you know, I think for me, probably when I kind of look through the names of people that have done that, uh, I would probably say the most two well-known names are probably Juan Pablo Montoya, who I like to call Juan Pablo, not sure I can drive, Oya. Uh, And then also (laughs) Scott Speed, Uh, you know, are probably two of the more what I call, you know, famous drivers from F1 to NASCAR that have made that transition and both have won some races. I mean, you know, mom, you know, one mom, Juan Pablo Montoya, you know, he, I don't want to say he was bad in NASCAR. I just never felt like he fit in NASCAR. I felt like the kind of racing he wanted to do just wasn't really conducive to how, you know, how a NASCAR drove, but he did win a road course or two and, you know, kind of, you know, help bring NASCAR, to a population of people that have made may never really heard about it before. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. He had two, uh, actually two wins in the NASCAR cup series and one in the Xfinity series, which would be the, the feeder series. If you're an F1 fan, your your feeder series into the cup series. Um, but yeah, he was always pretty competitive on the road courses towards the end of his career. The oval racing, his confidence grew better on it. Uh, no, I think Juan Pablo is probably the one of the better drivers to go from F1 to NASCAR. Scott Speed, 
I mean, he was just god awful with Red Bull Racing and Toroso. His yeah, was he even there a whole year? Um, I'm trying to remember if he was even in F1 a whole year, and then comes to the states with the Red Bull sponsorship, and then yep. Red Bull Racing, the the Red Bull started their own uh, NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, team and he was one of their main drivers and eh, it was about the same as f1 career he, i mean he ran for quite a few years but just one top five in his whole you know cup series career in like four to five seasons like yeah, kind of mirrors f1 career but juan pablo is actually more known for his uh let me see how's the best way to put this his more igniting driving uh, yeah. Because it was in hmm. 2000, oh my God, 10 years ago when he spun during a caution flag and ran into the jet dryer at Daytona and caught the track on fire. Yep. What? Yeah. Um, yeah. Look that up, YouTube. It, Juan Pablo Montoya jet dryer. Yeah. Uh, lost control of his car. And as the jet dryer was on top of the track, uh, blowing, deb- I'm pretty sure it was debris. I think there was like a caution. Uh, lost control and just drove straight into it and blew it up. Like, I'm glad he didn't get hurt and blew it up. Oh, my yeah. goodness. If memory serves me correct, I think he tried to uh, blame that on Danica Patrick. No, no not really. <laughs> but, um, but you know, I, I, I think he was a classic case of a guy that, you know, could drive some cars, but he just – Again, I just felt like he could never get the hang of a NASCAR because, again, you just said it. You're talking about double the weight. You're talking about different wheels. You're talking about a totally different engine. I mean, at the time that Juan Pablo was in F1, where you know, I mean, you're talking about engines that are like keen to go, you know, 200 plus miles an hour. I mean, very few times in NASCAR are you ever, if not ever, going to go 200 plus miles an hour. Um, so, you know, I just, I felt like maybe it was something that he tried and Hey, kudos to the guy again, a road course or two. He won, had a couple of top five finishes, but was just never there. But, you know, you look through some of the other names there, Nelson Paquette Jr. Um, you know, who we all know is from what a racing family in F1, you had Jacques Villeneuve. Um, you had, and then, you know, with Kimi Rockin, who actually, you know, had, you know, won a world championship in F1. So, you know, there's been a couple of guys trying to make that switch, but I just think it's harder than most guys could ever realize when you come in to turn left, uh, than it is going from an F1 car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as you alluded to, uh, Jacques Villeneuve, he didn't have much of a career in NASCAR, just five start in the cup series at hit and miss his last one was last year in daytona 500 actually drove and made it in like actually qualified for the 500 he wasn't one of the go-home drivers so uh, at 51 years old is an accomplishment um in the xfinity series he did have a couple top five finishes i think his one of them was in montreal on his uh, father's track his father's name track i should say circuit gilles villeneuve um yeah nelson pk jr had a actually decent nascar career uh cup series not so much but he had an xfinity win and two truck wins and you know what 
Not a single one was at a road course. They were on Ooh. oval tracks like Michigan, Vegas, stuff like that. So, I mean, I and, guess that makes up for the whole cra- the crash gate thing, you know. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, looking at that, you know, I will say what an achievement for a guy who's not used to, you know, who wasn't used to racing on oval tracks. Because let's be honest, hardly none if any of your F1 tracks are ever going to be on ovals. I mean, not really. Uh, you know, there might be some, you know, not every race is through the city, but, you know, to go and turn left only and to kind of, you know, turn that into those, I think that's, you know, has to be a feather in his cap to be able to adapt to that style of racing in the way that he did, not necessarily being with a DEI or, you know, one of the bigger teams in NASCAR at the time, you know, not a Hendrick or or Petty, you know, trying to, you know, even get up in the top five or the top ten. I definitely think that lets you know what he was putting into it. Mm-hmm. And one name we didn't actually talk about is, you know, you know the, the biggest name ever in Mario Andretti, the, one of the biggest names in racing history. Uh, one... Only one, only one win in NASCAR, and that was the Daytona 500. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have your one win, that's the race you want to do it. Also, Monaco Grand Prix winner, a uh, Indy 500 winner. Like that, that name is just synonymous with racing. And his son is. I mean, his son have kind of a, uh, you know, not held up to that name, but. But but I'll say this: if you're a racing driver, and I told you. You could win Monaco, Indy, and Daytona. Name me one driver who wouldn't take those three wins. I mean, you know, obviously people want to be world champions. They want to be monster energy champion, you know, NASCAR champion. But think about what it says about him to win those three races in those three classes of racing. Because in those three classes of racing, that's – I want to say the big three, you know, when you break F1, Indy, and NASCAR down, that's kind of the big three when you think about it, really. Yep. Um, And when we were looking up, like, uh, just show notes for the show, um, I didn't realize that, like, when he won the 500 in 86, oh, my God, 86, in 68, that... Like, he was just, like, he hadn't even started in F1 yet. He had already had talks, like, to go into F1 because he was mostly running Indy and open-wheel stuff and then he had cup, the occasional NASCAR race in between. And then he got to F1. So, like, he was kind of one of the rare guys who went from the States, racing in the States, to overseas in, I mean, Formula One world champion and the, only the last American Formula One champion uh in over 43 years now i think we're going on 43 yeah. years hmm. and i'm not sure i see that being topped in the near future <laughs> i mean let's be honest and you know not to take away from you know we've got some guys now logan Sargent and some names but but just look at the teams that he was racing with i don't know if we will ever see that mark top just yet by way of you know that analogy of being an american-born driver and winning the f1 world championship but i'll tell you what kyle i got a little bit of history here for you 
The first NASCAR competition held outside of the U.S. was in Canada. So you do have that distinction. The first race that NASCAR held outside the States was in Canada. It was on July 1st of 1952. Buddy Schumann won a 200-lap race on a half-mile dirt track in Stamford Park, Ontario, near Niagara Falls. So it is near Niagara Falls. I don't know how deep we were into Canada, <laughs> but that was the first race held outside the States for NASCAR. It was actually in 1952. Yeah, let's hold a race Ooh. outside the U.S. Where should we go? 15 minutes up the road? Sounds good. <laughs> right. So, sounds good, bud. Still got those TV rights, huh? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, hey, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, they did hold a race. Uh, if you guys, well, Kyle wouldn't remember, but JP, I don't know if you remember when they held exhibition races in the late 90s, I believe, at the Fuji and Suzuka circuits. They would go, they would go to Japan and run just exhibition races at the end of the season. I think they only ran two right. or three, though. All right, Scott, I'm about tired of you making me and you feel old and Kyle young, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, but no, that uh, was. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, going to Japan, I think that was when, you know, again, I think that really started the movement for NASCAR to maybe realize that they need to reach a broader, a broader audience to the world to bring their style of racing to the world and not just America. Yeah, they even tried a few races in Mexico uh, not too long ago, and they stopped that because uh, apparently it's hard to go across the border from the U.S. to, to Mexico because they're having issues getting across the border. And then, uh, yeah, uh, like other, we'll say, Brazil-esque issues in F1 where you know, the, the area wasn't the greatest. Mm, yep. Ain't she no problems coming the other way, else. but there's problems going that way. But anyway, this ain't got nothing to do with <laughs> politics. So <laughs> Yeah. Oh, hell no. Nah. Um, so I guess... JP would probably be more uh, apt to answer this question than Kyle, since he is the uh, the F1 noob and, you know, NASCAR noob. Uh, but he can sit and listen and get some uh, some learnt in. Mm -hmm. uh, JP, you see anybody who runs a NASCAR, like actually full-time, that would actually be an F1, that could actually be an F1 driver? Ooh, um... That's a tough question, but I'm going to give one name who still kind of runs full-time, and I have just about told myself over, you know, the last 15 years that I feel like he could drive anything. And I'm going to actually go with Kyle Busch. I really believe that Kyle Busch, for the way he loves racing, that if he got with the right F1 team that could, that could build him a car to compete, I really think, you know, Kyle Busch could learn how to drive it. Uh, if I want to go a little bit further back into the Rolodex, I think Tony Stewart could have. I just don't think he would have ever had the backing to go to F1 during his time. But uh, as of guys who still, you know, kind of driving irrelevant, I would definitely think that Kyle Busch could because Kyle Busch is a racer. I, I mean, I, I swear I could give that guy a toilet seat 
with four wheels that he would find a way to be in the top 15 at any NASCAR race, no matter what track it was. So I, my book, you know, bang for my book is going to be Kyle Busch when it comes to that, because I just feel like if he had time, he could figure it out to at least be competitive. I think this was five, 10 years ago that we had this discussion that Kyle Busch definitely hands down. He can win restrictor plate, short track, intermediate road courses. He has the aggression that you need to be an F1 driver. Yet yep. able to, uh, um, the, um, the willingness to attack a corner, you know, to late break, to, to be your, your typical F1 driver. And he's kind of got that, that swagger, that air of confidence, like, like an F1 driver would have. Um, he, like when he walks into the garage, when he walks to his car, he is the baddest mofo in the garage. He believes it and he shows it on the track. Granted, it doesn't show in championships one, which he only has, I believe, was it one or two? But in just terms of wins, yeah. I mean, across all three series, one of the most winningest drivers in yep. NASCAR history. But it just proves well, the guy, like, he just wants to race. Whether it's truck series, Xfinity, Cup series, he'll go late model racing, you know, some podunk little area just, just to race. And, and that's, like, I could just, I could see him in F1, like, if it was five or ten years ago. I mean, who knows? I mean, he's only 37, not that old. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I would love to see him try it, like, just, just for shits and giggles. Yeah, and and I, you know, again, I I said the name, and I definitely agree with it. And I think the guy before him, who kind of fit that mode of again driving anything with wheels, you know, was Tony Stewart. Um, you know, Tony Stewart was the other guy that may not have had the championships that Adele Earnhardt or Jimmy Johnson or or even a Kyle Petty had. But I think you realize that when Tony Stewart walked into the garage, you were like, all right, there's something about this guy. He'll speak his mind. Um, and I think when you look at the great F1 drivers, they had that edge. You know, Max is not afraid to speak his mind to the Red Bull team. The same way with Lewis Hamilton to Mercedes. And you go all the way back to Michael Schumacher. You know, there's a, there's a famous, I don't want to say famous, but there's an interview that Michael Schumacher did one time and I think he was leaving F1 and they were talking about, uh, the reporter was asking him about, you know, you could go drive a drive an IndyCar. What are you thinking? He was like, uh, no, IndyCar proves no challenge to me. He's like, why would I step down from an F1 car to an IndyCar? He's like, there's just no challenge there for me because I've been on top of the motor, you know, the motorsports world in an F1 car. Uh, so I do think that with, you know, you have to have that attitude. And I clearly think, to me, those two guys would carry that attitude to F1 that I'm just that good. I am here and I will arrive. Yeah, that's oh, a great yeah. point. Um, yeah, and going back to Tony Stewart, I mean, yeah, like Indy champion, NASCAR champion, like he had the background to do it, but I think he was more along the lines of, hell, I'm here for the party. NASCAR is a party. Yeah. Like yeah. I can accomplish this. I would have loved to see him try back in his younger, thinner days. But I guess he really wasn't very fit and thin 
Maybe, maybe no. it was like early, te- maybe in his teens, teens and early twenties. They... When he got to NASCAR, he 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 had that beard belly going. He he had that beard growing. You know, he, he was kind of one of the good old boys. Yeah, they would have had to definitely on the F1 car. They would have had to cut down the side pods. Mm-hmm. He definitely couldn't have drove the Red Bull. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, um, yeah, they definitely would have let the seat out. Uh, maybe six, six, seven inches just to get him to fit in there. Um, and also just quick, like if you're wondering, Hey, could a NASCAR driver actually like if Kyle Busch wanted to actually go to F1 and in race, could he do it? Actually? No, he can't. Um, so there is a super license point system. You know, we're here about this informational stuff. Um, if you are a NASCAR driver, pretty much you'd have to win two back-to-back championships and then finish in the top five to gain enough super license points to run an F1 car. Um, when they say F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports racing, that's not a that's not just a tagline. It's when you're a when you hold a F1 super license, you can literally go to any racing series. And just say, hey, I want to drive. I have my license. It it goes anywhere. It is your, it is your get out of jail free card. It is your I can do this because I'm an F1 driver. Uh, Indy, even if you raced Indy, the only way you can get a super license point, as we heard over this past off season with Colton Herta trying to get a ride with Alpha Tauri, um you have to either win the Indy series or, or the Indy championship or at least finish in the top three for two to three years. And he's kind of like the, uh, I'm going to win a few races and then wreck the others. So he never accrued the super license points. Hence why he got axed going to alpha Tauri. Hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, let's talk about, let, let's go back in time because uh, I really feel like a lot of people believe that Lewis Hamilton was really the first, um, I guess I could say, primary driver of color in F1. But if we actually go way, way back to 1986, there was a guy by the name of Willie T. Ribs. And he, there was a special on Netflix about a documentary about him, uh, about, you know, kind of his life in racing. But he actually was a guy who almost made it in F1 and just couldn't secure a seat with a team. Uh, and, you know, he kind of alluded to maybe it was the color of his skin at the time because when you look back then in F1, it was a lot of British guys. It was a lot of people, uh, you know, who were light, who were light complained. And let's just put it that way. Um, they weren't, there wasn't really anyone of color. So, you know, even Willie T. Ribs, he competed Indy, qualified for the Indy 500, um, did almost qualify for an F1 seat. But like I said, just kind of like barely missed the mark with the team. Uh, but, you know, just, you know, kind of talking about those guys who maybe barely missed out because of that points with, you know, making that transition to going there. But uh, Willie T. Grizz was just another guy who could just race. 
Oh, yeah, I, you know, not totally forgot about him, but he's just a name that kind of escaped me. But yeah, like racing NASCAR, he actually raced overseas, and I think it was the Formula Ford series. Yeah, it, it sure was, did. It was one of the feeder series where he just kind of ran out of pocket, you know, had a slight sponsorship, uh, but like won races. Like he was ultra competitive, but couldn't secure an f1 ride uh, yeah. in that same documentary on netflix he talked about how bernie eccleston was the one who got him you know at least a, a test session in an f1 yeah. car yep but and talked about trying to get him a ride if they could get sponsorship but obviously it never it never it never occurred but yeah that's a guy who, who like he just grew up and all he did he wanted to race whether it was nascar yeah. whether it was indy and even to at least two years ago he was running because tony stewart started his uh his little racing series a srx series willie tierra yeah. is one of the full-time drivers and last year he was just doing commentary with him so i don't know if he gave yeah. up racing full-time but it, just yeah another guy who just loved to race whether it was open wheel or closed wheel and and i think you know i think that's the one thing we take from racing let's let's look at nascar let's look at the guys who were really great let's look at a richard petty Let's look at a Dale Earnhardt. Let's look at a Jimmy Johnson. You know, it was guys who just were comfortable in the car. And, you know, I think that's the biggest thing for racers out there is do they get with the right team and they feel comfortable with a car? And, you know, when, when you look at Dale Earnhardt, when he was in what I call the three machine, because, you know, it's three for Dale here in North Carolina. Uh, any NASCAR fans there know what that means. But, you know, sometimes you just find the right driver with the right car. Um, but, you know, it even took Dale, what, 20 years to win Daytona, uh, you know, outside of flat tires, wrecks, you know, what, what have you with the race. But I think racing really comes down to one thing, and I think it's about the driver you put in that car. And even in NASCAR, he has to know, I'm willing to push this car to the limit and I'm going to get everything out of it that I can. And there's been numerous guys who would do that. And, you know, Richard Petty was, you know, grateful. He had the biggest motor in the starting grid. He would just put that freaking foot down, and he would just hold that car in the middle of the road somehow, and he would just go win races. But, you know, when you look at those guys, those are the guys that I feel like people follow is, is he just a racer? Mm -hmm. Kyle, are you still awake? Oh yeah, this has been great. <laughs> I was, yeah, just making sure I hadn't I hadn't heard you say anything in quite a while. Just make sure you're alive, buddy. No, just um, yeah, just taking in all this information. Just just basking in all our knowledge. Uh, do you have any questions from coming from uh, any more questions coming from a NASCAR noob? No, you guys answered uh, actually answered a lot of them just in your discussions. So uh, I actually uh, I had one. Here it is. Um, where is it here? So the one thing I had with the race at Coda, so near the end in overtime, why did it keep going to overtime so much? Like, do they pause when there's a safety car late in that race? Uh, yes. Yeah, so in NASCAR, it used to be like um, F1 where there was a designated um, finish. Like if it was supposed to go... 70 laps it was going 70 laps if it was going 100 it was going 100 oh. laps um but fans didn't like that because they don't like seeing 
races end under caution uh, because they didn't have Toto Wolfs back in the day. Yeah, okay. yeah they didn't have Toto Wolfs in NASCAR. No, Michael, it's, it's not it, right. It's not right. It, it's it's not right, Kyle. It's not right. <laughs> I don't know why you're doing this. It's not right, Kyle. Yeah, um, the, the only reason I was wondering that, because we saw in 2021, right, the final race of the F1 season, Max and Lewis end under that controversy. And then the next season, there was a race where kind of the same thing was happening, but they finished under the safety car. So I was just wondering why NASCAR doesn't do that. And they did overtime like five or six times. Yeah, so it used to be like they had one overtime and then they had a couple races where it would go to overtime. And then, well, they still end under caution. Well, let's do triple overtime. And then it was still doing it some races. So they just did, there's going to be a, the, it, the, they made it to where it, the race is going to end under green flag. Like no if, ands, or buts. We want the fans to feel like they got their money's worth. So we are ending under green. Uh, I would love to see F1 do that, but it's kind of hard since they don't do refueling anymore. And they pretty much pack the cars with enough fuel to last the said distance. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I would love I, to see F1 actually go to that. Yeah, with you bringing up that refueling yeah. too, I remember Kimmy in the post-race talking a little bit about his tire degradation just because there was so much overtime. Yep. Yeah, and you know... He, uh, was, run he was running in the top five for that race for a little bit. I'm sorry, JP. No, I was going to say, I think that's another thing that we talk about, you know, coming from F1 to NASCAR, um, not to, you know, open up something new here as right we get toward the end of the show, but you know, when you look at, you know, having to fuel throughout a race and you, you know, what in F1, you might come to the fence and take some fuel, but sometimes they're only taking fuel because they're changing tires. It's maybe not even really because the car really necessarily needs the fuel. They could conserve that fuel and maybe finish with a full tank of gas. So uh, I think that's another big thing. You know, that guys coming from open wheel racing in F1 to NASCAR, you know, NASCAR, you're going to chase tires a couple of times. But if you really look at some F1 races, you might only change tires one time because you're only because you only have to use uh, what two different tires through an F1 race. So you could start on, say, the mediums and then go to the soft and never come in again. Um, but I do credit you know, NASCAR would try to give the fans a finish because I agree watching guys, the last say, let's say the last 10 laps and they, you know, go out on the track and the pace cars out there or the safety cars out there. No offense, just in the race. If it's going to end that way, I don't even need to see these last 10 laps. So I do credit NASCAR with trying to do something to say, Hey, we tried our dangest to get you into this race. It's just not going to be possible. Okay. Well, that's that's kind of all I got for the show. Yep. Um, you guys have anything else, Dad? No. I just, uh, listen, uh, I go ahead. I, I'm going to say, ahead. listen, we're what we're coming into the third week of the F1 season, and yes, sir. good lord. Is the F1 world turned upside down with Fernando and Aston Martin? I know Kyle's got to be loving it, you know, as a, as a Canadian with Lance Stroll and Fernando coming in. Um, 
but you know, it's kind of crazy to see how the start of this this year is pacing out. And you know, as this year goes on, do we see Max get another teammate because of Checo? Like, is this going to be Checo's fault if this continues to happen through the year? Um, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Max's dad, you talk about a shady MFR, man, <laughs> do not win that race over his son on the same team because you will get looked at out of the side of his eye, okay? And we all clearly saw it. But um, I, I, I really believe this is a good year for F1, you know, and, and NASCAR is picking up steam with some of the F1 guys coming over. But I think we're in for a great year of racing when you look at where the teams are right now, I think we're in for a really good year of race. I agree. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And we'll definitely kind of get more into that uh, with our Australian Grand Prix preview mm-hmm. coming up here in a few days. Man, I yeah, can't wait for that. Will. But uh, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, I really want to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode. It was kind of a thrown together type deal, like just. It was kind of cool with two former uh, F1 champions being in NASCAR race. Hey, maybe some of our listeners don't know anything about NASCAR or are still learning about F1, and they, you know, they kind of want to know little differences, some of the names, some of the places. Uh, so it was great talking about it. Um, but again, thank you for listening. I've been Scott. I've been Kyle. I'm John. And remember, everything is about a plan. A plan. <laughs> Thanks again, everybody. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Paddock Talk. Don't forget to like and share the episode and check us out at Paddock Talk on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Discord.